Welcome to the Warm Down Podcast, Episode 8. My name's Dave. I'm with Rem and P. Uh, today's episode is going to be a headline episode. We're going to go back a couple of weeks since our last episode. I'm going to talk about the main headlines in the football, uh, MMA and boxing. Uh, there's no better place to start than the football. Pass this on to Rem to discuss that. Yeah, let me just bring up the thing. Um, yeah, so we can talk about the headlines for like the last two weeks um, because we haven't done an episode since then. So anything that's happened interesting up until that point. So we're going to start on Italy winning the Euros. More on where England go from here now. Um, I don't know, Dave, you've got your points on Gareth Southgate. Um, so I'll let you start with it. Um, is he capable of taking England one step further after what you saw in the final? Um, it's a difficult one because obviously looking at the, you know, first and foremost, you know, I think England, the performance, you know, to get to a final for the first time since 1966, hats off Southgate. There has been some improvements. A bit of consistency in terms of getting to the latter stages of tournaments. But I, I feel with Southgate, there's, there's something missing in terms of that that final cutting edge in terms of get, becoming needy men to actually winning it. And it's quite evident in that Italy game where we've seen there was opportunities in that game where, you know, it was there for the taking and he didn't really utilise the squad. And, and England, for me, got one of the best squads out of anyone in that in that competition the amount of talent that they have going forward that they can overrun Italy, and he failed to utilise it because he had the mindset to go to, to penalties. So it's just those type of moments in, in those games which, for me, uh, makes it makes a difference in terms of whether or not he's good enough uh, to take England to the next level, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But in terms of his, what he's done at this moment in time, you know, he can, you know he's done well in terms of getting this group of players, and I think it's a lot more potential. And I, I like the fact with all these England... Uh, the players, they're playing for their badge and there's not this club versus country round. There's no big egos. Everyone wants to play for the, t- the team. So I think in that aspect, bringing and harmonising the squad together, he's done a brilliant job. But, uh, you know, the jury's out. We're, we're two weeks on from the final, but I think it's about two weeks, maybe three now. Um, obviously, it's calmed down a bit now. Obviously, emotions after and everything. I remember something you did say. <laughs> you felt that he should not take England to the World Cup. Do you, or two weeks after now, or three weeks after that, it's calmed down. Do do you change your stance on that? Yeah, I think obviously during the time, in the moment, obviously us kind of losing the way we did. You know, I kind of felt Southgate wasn't the the guy. But then you got to look around and think. You know, you got to take it back a bit and think. You know what? Look where England was five, six years ago. Uh, to what to now? There's a group of players that want to play for England, are <coughs> proud to play for England, and Southgate's been the core reason for that. He's harmonised the squad, like I mentioned before. He has made the improvements. England seemed to me a bit more. You're taking England a bit more seriously. England are now consistently getting into latter stages of the tournament. So, I think it's only right that he gets another opportunity um, in, in Qatar. But if he doesn't perform, you know, in, the, in them opportunities there, you know, I think that should be his last um, crack at the dice, really. But, yeah, I think it's a difficult one because I, 
I think when I, it's frustrating watching the game. There was just moments in that final where you just felt you could have brought on Sancho, you could have brought on maybe uh, you know Rashford or or someone earlier on in the game to kind of hurt Italy. And it, it just that that negative and conservative, you know, sometimes just you know it doesn't really work. And I understand he had a tactic and he, he was cautious, but you know you've got a squad, you've got to use it. And I hopefully going into the Qatar, you know, you've got a squad and he starts to utilize it because they're going to need it, especially in the heat. So we'll see. Um, no, I, I mean, I get where you're coming from, definitely. Um, with Southgate, the way I see it is there's only a year until the next major tournament. So I, I don't understand why they would try and bring somebody else in with whole new ideas when in such a short space of time, you're going to have to rework everything again. So it makes sense to continue with that and then see after that tournament, uh, in my opinion. But um, just to touch on the point that was made where you said, like, you see, like, Sancho coming on in the final and stuff, because I heard quite a few people saying, like, Sancho, Rashford, they should have been brought on earlier, yeah? And I can definitely see uh, the angle, why, but then the flip side of the coin for me is England competed in that game. They weren't not there. That Italy had to beat something. It wasn't just a game, just show up and and, and you, you come out to win. It went to penalties in the end. But... England weren't the team in control. And as much as I looked at it, you could possibly let the Italians keep the possession as they are doing and then hope to spring a counter with those two players on the pitch. In a game like that, especially a final, turning over possession constantly with two riskier kind of dribblers compared to Saka and who was the who was on the other wing? Sterling. Uh, Sterling. Sterling. Mm. Now, Sterling's just the guy who runs in behind. So he, he's kind of more needed than all of them because he, he is the guy who does the different job to everybody. But I felt Saka stayed on for so for so long because it is that risk element of a Jaden Sancho or Rashford are going to try things that I believe Saka will be a lot safer. A, a little more risk. Yeah, his, his habits to me are a bit better in certain situations. And in a final like that, sometimes you need to do the right thing rather than the, the the bit of special quality or something happening. And if he brought on one of those lot, I've seen it before as an Arsenal fan, Oxley Chamberlain, when he was at the club, we the Monaco um, defeat, but we went out of the Champions League. He came on, scored an absolute screamer, and then he picked up the ball on the halfway line and tried to dribble past yeah, somebody and he stuff. kind of stumbled over the ball. Yeah. And Carrasco went in and ended up scoring the goal that knocked us out. It's just Sterling earlier in the tournament against Germany when he lost the ball and Muller missed the sitter. Those sort of players that are going to try and spin and take people on, especially when you don't have that control of the game, I, I don't think it's always the best thing to do. So like going back to it, the result was the result. Somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Uh, uh, England gave a fantastic account of themselves in that tournament. As much as I'm not an England fan, like per se, when it comes to just looking at the nation, just coming into the tournament, but for what they produced, I, I was happy to see. If England won the tournament, I wouldn't feel no way or uh, sour grapes or anything. Sour grapes, Italy. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah when it comes down to it, like that, you cannot say, in my opinion, that he, he. If we're going to talk about the players on the pitch, he didn't put a foot wrong until the final game. Who? who? South Africa. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. There can only be one winner. So whether it was going to be Mancini or him, could we would Mancini be judged the same way, yeah. same way yeah. as Southgate? I think it's just the nature of kind of how England are. Yeah. We, we kind of want success and things over these shores by any means. 
But it's like, well, as you said, you have to look at the bigger picture, the progression of the team. With this guy, he has brought a camaraderie and a, a sense of togetherness with this team. And I don't think it was just down to the fact they have good players anymore coming into this tournament that they did so well. I do believe those factors of being able to get people to want to play for each other, put aside egos and things like that, is always going to help. And you can win a football match in a lot of ways. Sometimes it comes down to quality. Sometimes it comes down to luck. Sometimes it comes down to the other team yeah. making a mistake. I believe he's given them an element that has put them in contention. Not just this year. If they can keep what he's kind of, yeah. that nucleus of that, that, that togetherness, England can be threatening because that's always been a thing. We saw it with the fans. And that's where there's, it's like the culture issue. Obviously, hopefully that doesn't leak back into the team. But that used to be there where there's a divide. As you said, this team, that team. After the penalties... I heard certain people are oh, Man U players missed, an Arsenal player missed, but they were all England a second ago. Mm. So when it comes down to it, I think what he's done, if, if we look at it and then the fact that he, there's only a year until the next tournament, I, I just see it as a no-brainer for him to take them there. Yeah, nah, like me personally, like, on, on both your points that, that you lot made, I, I, I do think for the work that he's done, I think it's, it's only right that he you give him the chance to do that next logical step and that would be to win it because he's got to a semi-final, got to a final now and lost it by penalties, was one penalty kick away, I think, at one point to, to winning it. And the reaction is the reaction. And I get it. I, I think you look at England and um, they scored so early in the game, it gives yourself kind of an issue because you're like, what do we do? Sit back. What do we do? Go for it to go for the second and and they kind of did for the next 10-15 minutes kind of same thing that happened against Croatia yeah that's what a lot of people said I can't really remember the Croatia game like because David made the same point and that's what David's criticism was on him Mm -hmm. is that he didn't learn from that game Mm -hmm. but my my thing was every game is in isolation and I think England got to about the hour mark and Italy didn't really threaten him they were starting to grow in confidence the patterns were getting better the link up was getting better the movement Definitely second half was 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 a lot more apparent with a lot more urgency. Um to move Kiesa onto the left-hand side, it caused more of a problem. Uh, he just caused a problem anyway. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, Pickford didn't really have nothing to do. Um the warning signs were coming as I think it was a free kick at one stage and and or, or a shot from the edge or or something. Chiesa where left foot. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had that in the first half, yeah, that yeah. one fizz. But, and that was the first warning that, ooh, you know what, now, if this guy starts to grow confidence and from that instant, and he did, then he could make something happen. And, but in the end, they conceded from a set piece. Um, I, I, I did feel that after an hour, he should maybe put on a, a greenish, something that could have bought you a bit of time, bought you a foul. Because Kane, Saka, Sterling hadn't really touched the ball, maybe some Mount hadn't touched the ball. But between Saka and Kane, their, their jobs were basically that to fall over. They were trying to win fouls. They were trying to slow it down for England because they, as the game got on, you could see there was no possession. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with David that around that time, you should have made the decision. Is it a risk? Yes. But then the other side is you look at the players. Maybe the players' mindset was, look, we're in our first final since 1966. We're 1-0 up here. Yeah, don't beat what, yourself. What, what do we do? Just, Just hang on here mm-hmm. as a top the clock's ticking sorry they're 20 minutes away from mystery they scored with about 20 minutes left so it got to about that and they were like 
and then from there, it's hard to change your mindset now to go on to win the game. And then the best next thing you would say would be penalties. If your subs don't make an impact, listen, we can argue about the subs and Rashford and Sancho coming uh, on to take a penalty though. and not touching the ball. It was criminal in my eyes anyway. You know, but um, it, I, I get what you're saying because uh, we've had these discussions, loads of people about not touching the ball. Yeah. The fact they've come on. Yeah, I think you can see that in Rashford. But then once again, as I say, there's yin and yang to everything. Yeah, of course. If, if you know Rashford, let's be honest, we look at that whole squad. Who's the best striker of a ball after Harry Kane? Do you believe in their team? Definitely with a penalty kick is Rashford. Is Rashford. So if you know that Rashford is in the, so is it 16 players yeah. available? And you didn't want him to, you didn't even bring him on. As we've seen so many people do in the past, take off defender last minute. And put somebody else on just for the penalty, yeah. and you didn't bring him on, and somebody else missed. It would have been why no, did hundred percent. I just think that he should have brought him on ten minutes earlier to at least. Touch no, the I ball, feel you. I feel because I, I made that point myself. I said, and the second thing we, we can argue, but I think everyone agrees. Now people can say, "Oh, but what's the excuse of his age and whatever?" I just think a nineteen-year-old to take the fifth and final penalty didn't really make. Any sense to it me? Show, it shows courage, isn't it? Like for a nineteen-year-old stepping up and taking and taking a penalty. There's a lot of England players who are hiding behind and didn't want to take that penalty. Let's be, let's mm-hmm. be honest. Sterling being one of them, he did. I, I think you know the criticism he would have got. I think Jack wanted he, to take one because I saw when he was telling Rashford he did, that, no, he, he did ask he, he did the kind of what you do when you're a kid like I, he floated around he yeah I, I saw Southgate ask him I, th- I think that wasn't the kind of thing if you believe what Southgate says and, and, and I kind of can see what you know teams plan for penalties now and I think they had been practicing and they were the five best players mm-hmm. that were left on the pitch and that was the order um, and he went with them and, and told whoever else wants to take, you're going to be next in line. And I think that's where it fell. So Jack Wooden took in the top five because for we know in penalty, he might in training, sorry, he might have missed four out of five. We this just is the don't thing. know. So. Like, I feel there's been, an, obviously it's how England ended up losing the game in the end, yeah, it was penalties. Yeah. But I feel like there's been a lot of scrutiny put onto penalties when we know penalties are almost a lot. It's a lottery, yeah. Like, Jorginho, who, who scored one of the greatest penalties I've ever seen in my life to put um, Denmark out? No, sorry, Sweden. Sweden yeah. um, no, Switzerland. Yes. Yeah, Switzerland out. And then he, I said it before he took it. I said he's going to do the same, same technique and, and everything. And Pickford, but Pickford saved it. Yeah, and, then, and at the end of the day, that's a seasoned penalty taker. Somebody yeah. who's been there and his technique kind of embodies that well, it coolness. It works. No, no, you have to be very but, cool. But that's, that's what my criticism of um, Southgate is: is that. He wanted to take it to penalties. I mean, England are in the first final for you know since 1966 on mm-hmm. home turf. You know, everything everyone would say, oh, the stars are aligned, it's meant to be. But you got to show that ambition. You know, you got you know, you want to win it either in the full 90 minutes or extra time. You don't want to leave it to fate to, to penalties. And I, I, you know, very similar to what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer did in the Europa League. Obviously, the enormity of the, the two are completely different, but the fact that you're going to go to penalties and leave it to fate when you have an opportunity with the squad that you've got to at least try to affect the game. I understand that Italy were kind of dominating and the game and kind of overrunning the game a bit, but just that ambition to kind of win it. That's my only criticism of, of Southgate. You know, there was an opportunity to try to try something because there's pressures off because they've overachieved in this tournament. No one expected them to get this far, considering when you look at it, to come out of the group, you know, they were either going to get Portugal, Germany, or, um, or France. And let's be honest here, yeah, none of us really thought that England were going to beat either one of those three teams. So they over they overachieved and they've had some good performances. 
I just felt the final was an opportunity for them to kind of, you know, you know there's no pressure. I know there would be obviously pressure of the fans and all that, but yeah. there's no pressure. You know, take a few risks and, and see how it goes because they've overachieved. Uh, I, but, think, I, think, I think there's definitely pressure because it's their first final in how many years? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Heroes, them guys would have been legends. But look, let's move on from that. Just that last point talking about yeah. that, um, the, the Euros. England tournament, uh, England player of the tournament, Carl Walker. You all agree? I think he got it. I think he got it. Um, I, I agree, yeah. personally, because I think even up until then, he was definitely in the running. I think he wasn't ahead. But I think... The final, I, I, I think, out of the ones that were at the top of the queue, I, th- I think he came out of the final the best, in my opinion. Um, um, that is a good shout. But once uh, again, for yeah, me, yeah. earlier, sorry, um, but mine will have to be Sterling. I just believe everything that really mattered to get them to that point went through Raheem Sterling. And he didn't have the greatest tournament in terms of his overall performances. But, I mean, it's that... Ronaldo in 2002. I always remember he, he just ended up being top goal scorer. I don't think he was Brazil's best player, but when the moments he that mattered scorer, yeah. Yeah, came up, he, he, he made the difference and he ended up getting player of the tournament. As I said to Remy before the final, if England won it, I believe Raheem Sterling would have been player of the tournament. You, yours, yours, David? Would you agree with I, I, I'm leaning towards Walker. Listen, I, 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 obviously, you know, I'm going to have to put, put a Man United... I mean, I thought Maguire ever since he came back was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and sure, he done it. You know, listen, I didn't expect that type of offense. By the way, who the fridge? Who, who the fridge? Oh, he's not a fridge listen, no more. he ain't the fridge no more. Oh, right, he ain't yeah, the fridge yeah. no I more. Got some fresh rules, yeah. I got to put some. Res- yeah, he's got some fresh rules now. He's hybrid now. But um, yeah. I got listen. I got to give it to Walker in it because I think Walker for me. I think the one thing about Walker, I always felt like he always switches off, and his depend the defensive discipline is always. It's a question, but you know this tournament, he was he was fantastic. Yeah, the recovery I, I runs, think, he got I, stoned out of so many so many issues, man. Yeah, definitely. And I think the goal, I think his attitude alone, that overlap for Trippier, opened up a lot, and it was mm-hmm. causing problems earlier in the game. But um, we'll move on from this now. Just quick point that definitely, definitely, I think Donnarumma deserved his award for Player of the Tournament. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, never lost a penalty. Yeah, and two penalty shootouts, and he won them. And no team has ever won two penalty shootouts at a tournament before. And, well, and they did. He hasn't conceded more than two goals in a game playing for Italy. That's insane. But um, yeah, definitely, and deserve winners in Italy as well. Um, yeah, we're gonna look at a few um managerial positions that got filled at Spurs, Everton, and Crystal Palace. Nuno. What got the job finally at Spurs? Spurs were taking, I think it took 70 days or something to find a manager. Went through a whole list. I think we spoke about the list, everyone knew that it was Poch at one point, Conte at one point, and ended up with Nuno. So that was open, Caduso. <laughs> yeah, that one got shut down quick. Um, Rafa Benitez returns to Merseyside. He joined the other side, Everton, which we'll talk about more. I want your opinion on it, but. There was a bad reaction from the Everton fans. And um, Patrick Vieira, who I don't know too much about, to be honest, like managerial-wise, he got the Crystal Palace job. Um, so we'll start with, with Nuno. Um, and he's in charge of the, the rebuild now at Spurs, which has kind of started to get into motion. It's not incomings, unfortunately, from for me. But Alder World, who'd been at the club for, I think, six, seven seasons, and Eric Lamella, who came... As part of that 
replacement for Gareth Bale. Part of that Gareth Bale money, he also left the club as well. Um, I think that was needed though. Those two out of the world. I think yeah, it was probably his time. I think, I think more time with Alder or I think he started to Lamella. slow. I think Lamella still had a bit to offer. Yeah, Lamella was a very frustrating. He was the most frustrating guy I think I've ever seen in well, a Tottenham shirt. He, he left Tottenham with more yellow cards than he had goals. Yeah, so, so that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was frustrating. No, but the highlight of his probably career was his Rabona goal against us, and then he got sent off in the game as well. Yeah. And he won. Yeah, he he was he was a very frustrating player. player. But but not not frustrating because of them aspects. Of course, them 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 things come up, but. His decision making was just shocking. Certain times, I remember we had he had one season. That season that Leicester won the league, that was his best season. I think I told him. I don't think anyone will argue with that. Um, so second season on Pochettino, um, and he had some really nice link up with Harry Kane. Got a good few assists for Harry Kane that season. Um, one thing about Lamella, you can't question is his heart. Always gave one hundred and ten percent, no matter when. Whether it was fouls, it doesn't matter. His commitment was there, which. I think we all want because there's some talented players but they've got no commitment. He he, he he was talented, he had ability, you could see that very one-footed, two one-footed, you might as well cut his right leg off because he didn't use it. Um, but yeah, he, he was the, he's one of them guys, he's Marma, isn't it? You can love him for, for his attitude and passion and, and you know that he will give his all and then you can hate him for the frustrating side of him, misses a lot through injury. Um, didn't score enough goals. Yeah, so, but, as I said, like, I'm, I'm not a guy that is too critical on people. Like, let's give people a chance. And Lamella, as I said, we got Brian Hill in replacement, which I think is a good deal for the club. A 20-year-old, highly rated in Spain as, as like, the future. Um, so, yeah, that hopefully we'll have exciting little player on our hands there and Toby obviously leaving I think as I said I think it was time his wages were a lot um, he went to Qatar in the end I know he did want to return to Belgium or even Holland if he had the chance um, he ended up taking the money obviously and going to Qatar um, at one stage I think we had a discussion before where David you thought I was trying to say that he's still world class he isn't still world class from my my opinion, yeah, just had to clarify was, that part there, a little bit. There was a couple of seasons just before he got injured. That, them two seasons, and first two seasons, I suppose he was genuine world class. He was part of a world class partnership. He had a world class ability um, to 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 ping a ball and and create assists from it. And he was a very calm defender. I think there was one I, I can't remember how many games, but he went an outrageous amount of games without even getting a yellow card. Um, but slowly you can start to see his reactions slowing down and stuff. So I think it was the right time. Um, but the big thing with Nuno is not as much him. It's going to be the support he gets and Paratici has come in. I think we spoke about it before. Um, and he's been in charge now of getting rid of players and bringing players in. So it's kind of down to him. He's very respected in his job. He has very good links. He has a weird way of working in every position that he wants to fill. He kind of, sometimes he can get into deep negotiations with 10 players at once, which is a bit of a crazy thing to do. But that's how he works. I heard he is like one of the hardest workers in football. Um, so... I hope Levy don't cut the cord though. That's, that's the problem. That's the problem. If, if Levy doesn't change his attitude, then it's not really going to make a difference. Um... And I'll ask you a lot about Rafa. Um, 
Rafa Benitez gone to Everton. First of all, David, do you think that's a a good appointment for Everton in replacing Antrelight? I don't know why these Everton fans are complaining because the way I see it with Everton is that, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of money for minimal success. I mean, Antrelotti coming here was, was a bit of luxury. Antrelotti was not going to stay there a long period of time. He, he gave them a bit of stability last season. Um, they weren't challenging for any European positions. Um, Rafa Benitez is going to stabilise the club, whether fans like it or not. Forget about the allegiance with, with, with Liverpool. You never really competed with uh, Liverpool when he was in charge at Liverpool anyway, so they need to, need to forget all of that. They should be kind of grateful that someone of his stature is coming in, going to be able to stabilise the club. And they've got they've got a bloated squad. They've got too many players that they've got in their squad that are not good enough. They See need to kind of trim the, tri- yeah, trim the. I think he's gone yeah. Southampton. Well, I think he's, he's gone Southampton, but oh, there's too many players yeah. they've bought. Yeah, they've bought, they've spent a lot of money. I'm hearing so that. I like. So I'm hearing that Rafa's not a uh, doesn't see Hammers in his plans. Yeah, but I think he's you know, quite. He, he's a bit of a maverick player. Yeah, he's I know. Exceptionally good, yeah. but it's like a thing where yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can't see the picture that works, yeah, for him, yeah, then no, it's very difficult to work he'll, around. He'll let you down. Yeah, yeah. Go on, David. Sorry. No, I was just, I was just saying that they've got, a, they've got a bit of a bloated squad. They spent a lot of money over the last three, three, four years under the, obviously the new board, new, new um, board that's come in. Obviously, got a lot of money, but with minimal success. Rafa's going to come in, identify the players that are going to, going to do, going to fit his system. And they're going to be very difficult to beat. I mean, a couple of signings that they've made, uh, Townsend and Gray. I mean, one thing that the problem that they had last season was they were decent, but on the width, they struggled. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting balls into the box to Calvert Lewin, even though he had a tidy return. Well, I think those yeah. two signings kind of show what, yeah, what, what he's trying to do, yeah. The direction he wants to go. Yeah. He's clever, he's clever, Rafa. He'll have an idea and he'll, he'll try to bring the players in and work towards that. If you give him the power, that's what he wanted at Newcastle and he didn't really get it too much. Because mm. he made Newcastle better, to be honest, but there was limitations on Newcastle. So I think he won't have them limitations really on Everton. Hopefully he won't forever. Um, and then the last manager that's new to the league is Patrick Vieira, who had been at Nice. I don't know about his style. I don't know. I don't know if Perry, you know much about it. Um... Palace under Vieira, what do you think? Um, to be honest, as you stated, don't know too much about the style. I do know with Nice, um, it's tended to favour younger players. But that has seemed to be a kind of thing that Vieira's kind of, since he's come into management, always tried to kind of go for, is the youth. So I, I do believe we'll maybe see a fresher, younger-looking Palace. Well, they need a fresher, because a lot of players... Yeah, yeah a lot of their players... Yeah, a lot of old players. Van Aanholt moved on already, but we'll talk about signs in a minute, but yeah, anymore. No, I, that's the only thing I could possibly see coming from Vieira is just like a fresher, kind of younger team. And maybe that will make them just physically able to compete better. More proactive? Uh, yeah, I expect them yeah, to a be. a bit more attractive in terms of their, their, their playing style because, I mean, Hodgson was quite conservative, yeah. very difficult to beat, oh, didn't see as many goals. Yeah, so they're going to be a bit more vibrant. He's a new age manager. New age attack is the best form of defence to everybody, it seems. So, unless you're Diego Simeone. They, they've made some impressive signings. Um, I don't know how much you lot know about them. They've made Elise from um, Reading, they brought in, who, who was kind of, I think he's like a star in Reading's team. He's kind of, he's a very flair. He's a, he's a flair player. Mm. Um, 
So he could be an entertaining yeah. player to go along with Eze and Zaha. Could be yeah, I was going to say Eze, yeah. Yeah, it could be interesting. Sadly, Eze's got a bad injury, but yeah, maybe that will give Elise some playing time. Um, they signed from Chelsea. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. I'm going to say Guy. A guy, 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 maybe. Um, guy, he's a yeah, back. Maybe. I, I've watched him for Swansea. I only watched him once. I've got to be honest. I watched him against Bristol City. Was it Bristol City in the playoffs? Semi-final, second leg. And he like impressed what, last, last year? Or? Yeah, yeah, the year just gone because Bristol City didn't expect them to be in. Was it Bristol City or Barnsley? Was it Barnsley? Barnsley, Barnsley. Barnsley, yeah, yeah sorry, Barnsley. Um, and he, he he was the most impressive player for me. Uh, his defending looked very good. Um, they also brought in Joe Jim Anderson, who was impressed last year on loan at, um, at Fulham. You lot wanted him, innit? Yeah, he was one of the guys that were on the list, apparently, on the we 10 list. Yeah, Arsenal were linked with him as well. Um, and also, another guy who last year, I think he impressed me a lot, was um, um, Conor Gallagher, mm. who's a Chelsea player originally. Yeah. He's he joined on um, on loan. So, yeah, man, they, they definitely blacked him with some good players. So, which leads us on to transfers. We're going to go through a list of the kind of big ones, the kind of ones that kind of interest us a bit. Um, we've got to start with this one. It hasn't been completed. There's reports that it's going to be accepted, but Aston Villa have received a reported 100 million offer from Manchester City for Jack Grealish. Do you think? Do you think it will go through, David? Uh, yeah, 100. percent They'll accept. Uh, Man, Man City. Uh, yeah, I think it's too much of an offer for Villa to, to decline. I know that Villa have obviously tried to sign Greenish onto a new contract, but that's £100 million that can reinvest in the squad. And I think it's time now for Greenish to kind of move on from Villa. I mean, he's he's kind of helped them in the last couple of years to kind of be stable. And Villa now have got other players in their team that can kind of shoulder the responsibilities now once, once Greenish goes. And they'll be able to... They've become a bit more of an attractive club to kind of go to now. I mean, they've signed Bundia. Um, they look, uh, you know, uh, who's a very good player for Norwich, a um, couple of other players, but Villa will be able to attract players and that £100 million, will, it's like a club like Villa, their stature and where they are at the moment, they can't they can't refuse that type of money and Man City will get that done in a couple, well, I think next week we should hear more developments, hopefully, but yeah, Man City ain't messing around, they want to get greedy shin. Um, yeah. Straight away, Villa Villa. Sorry, straight away Villa have had a bid accepted for Leon Bailey, which is which is which is exciting for Villa fans, man, to get it over the line. Um, I don't know, it might find some competition now that that's been accepted, especially I think it's around the 30 million range. I wouldn't be surprised if other teams look at that. Let's get involved. Um but yeah, that, that that's a, an exciting kind of offer. we but it, go, it goes to show with Villa now. Villa are now a team now are kind of they were when you know fringing on the on the relegation. Now they kind of solidified themselves. They got the backing of the owners. They want us. They um, they're looking Three an attractive club. Would would, would be yeah. good progress. I think one year you never know what could happen the next year. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's, it's about consistency. So mm-hmm. I think that's what it is about Villa being consistently in around that top ten. I think that's what they got to do. I know their signs are. are are pushing towards a little more ambitious, like they're really trying to break into that top top seven, top eight. Um, but yeah. Um, 
Where where do you see Grealish Perry fitting in at um, C? To be honest, um, if it happens. Yeah, if it no, happens, I see just another Bernardo Silva situation. He's not just going to just take a place. You have to you have to earn your spot at C, in my opinion. Like, unless you're like a Sergio Aguero or something and they need you, like Harry Kane could come there and just instantly have a spot. Mm. But... Grealish, you still do have to compete with Sterling. Sterling, he puts up numbers. That's the thing. So it's what do you want? Because if it comes to goals, Sterling will probably outscore him. May not be as uh, flashy or anything that he does, mm. but he, he will produce. Grealish, he does other things. And obviously you've got Foden there as well. That's what I was going to say. Sterling wasn't even starting most yeah, of so, the No, but then obviously, as, as I said, coming off the back of the Euros, I would have looked to him in my opinion, probably their player tournament. Who? Sterling for me. Coming back to Pep, he must be aware of his performances. Something to look at. Um, yeah, as I'm saying with Grealish, I don't think he's just a bang on. If he signs, he'll, he'll be a starter straight away. But I do believe he will sign for City. Um, the law of a club like that, he, he, he's been sought after for a number of years now. And I think the timing is about right for him. I mean, Villa are in a position where they built the team around him, but as a collective, they're a lot stronger now. So I don't think it would affect them the way it would have previously. And if reports are true, they've got a bid accepted for Leon Bailey. Mm. That can be an instant kind of replacement kind of guy mm. or just to shift things around. Do you get me? But yeah. Um, staying in Manchester, David. Maybe exciting times at United yeah. next season, boy. Sandra Varan, good start. Listen, I got, I, you know, I'm always critical about Man United from top to bottom in terms of getting the the right recruitment, identifying them, and trying to get it. United. You know, we 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 targeted these players. We normally tend to get the second or third or fourth um, option, but the fact that they're able to kind of get Sancho for the price they did, um, I got to give them you know hats off. You know, I mean, last season I was convinced that you know Sancho will come. United stuck to their guns. He didn't he didn't go. He stayed another year at Dortmund. And we come in and broker the deal and he's he's here and he kind of automatically sorts out that issue down the right hand side. But I think I'm more impressed about the Varan deal because sorry, um, quick, quick, quickly on Sancho. Sorry, sorry, quickly on Sancho. Coming a year later has not been too much an issue with you lot comfortably finishing the Champions League, isn't it, last season? So kind of I know there was a bit especially the way you started the season there was like shit man what's wrong with us we should have got in Sancho do you know what I mean but now a year later you've got him at a cheaper price and you're 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 more attractive now to be honest now with Champions League football Yeah that that was the main thing as long as we got Champions League football Sancho's going to come and mm. um, we got ourselves in that position so uh, that was one one benefit for us but um and I think he will help us down that right-hand side where I feel he, you know, kind of gives now Greenwood that opportunity to kind of move a bit more centrally and kind of rotate with uh, Cavani. But um, we've got kind of options um, down that side now, especially someone as established as, as Sancho with his assists and his goal-scoring appetite at Dortmund. And I think it's been a perfect education for him to, you know, I think any young player, uh, English player, you know, who wants to learn the trade, I, I, I do believe going abroad helps. Sancho is a per- perfect example. Especially yeah, Germany as well. Perfect league. Very similar to the, to the Premier League. Drew Benham is at, at Dortmund as well, doing the same thing. A few others. So I think now Sancho is at now an opportunity where I think he can kind of now 
build on what he's done at Dortmund. Now he's at Man United now. We're in a position to kind of uh, hopefully do something. Uh, but the, the Varane deal for me was quite exciting because we've always had issues in terms of, you know, getting that. I mean, Lindelof and Maguire for me, you know, yeah, it didn't really look right. I mean, Maguire, better at the two, very similar, but we kind of need that commanding world-class defender. And to get Varane over the line, fantastic. That was, that, was we have the, as well. that was one of the partnerships that you, you want to see broken up at Man United, didn't it? Maguire 100%. and Lindelof and obviously... We know the other one. We don't need to... Yeah, we do. Yeah, listen. I'm not trying to break them up, you know. It's got to be done. And the fact that the board and able to get the, done, the deal done so quickly, so swiftly as well, and for the price as well, listen, kudos to the, to the board to get a player of that calibre, a World Cup winner, set, has won the Champions League a few times. He's going to be commanding um, with Maguire. I'm very excited to see how that... Um, Partnership's going to grow and develop, but let, make no mistake, we've got these signings. Doesn't mean we're automatically going to be in a cha- you know t- uh, challenging for uh, for Man City and Chelsea for the uh, for the for the title. Listen, the objective is always going to remain top four and win a trophy. That's if any Man United fan out there has a, has any realism about the situation, that should be the objective. I don't care who, if we've got Sancho and Varane, we're nowhere near winning the Premier League. I'll just leave it as that. Uh, sorry, just to touch on that though, Sancho. I believe Varane, as much as Sancho is the big money um, buy, I believe Varane is obviously with his credentials and everything behind him, the bigger sign in my opinion. Uh, immediately, I expect him to have an impact. The one thing that is exciting for United fans is the future of their team, is the future of their attack. They have three of England's best forwards, Sancho, Rashford and Greenwood. That could be their future front three. Fantastic stuff. Mm, I don't know what you mean, so. I mean, they... Yeah, but the, the, only, the only problem with that is, is unless Oli don't burn them down to the ground, run them down to the ground like uh, some lab rats, just go game you... after game <laughs> after game. <laughs> no, but, you've got, but you've got your Cavani's there. You've, yeah. got, you've got, like, even that Diallo, like, he looked good. That Ahmad Diallo? Oh, that, is that his name? Yeah, yeah Ahmad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah Ahmad, yeah. He, he, he get loaned out. Him, Alanga. But this um, is the thing. Like, it's not like you've just got those three. But James, I'm just saying... in the James. Yeah, well, walk up. But in the future... <laughs> no, but in the future, you have to look. And the same thing I was saying with the England team, that camaraderie and whatever, you've got three guys that are mm. all similar kind of age, yeah, all similar kind of position, all similar kind of mentality. It seems it's like it's a happy place at United. what I'm saying? And to add him to that, I think it will only in the future, if they stay together, that's going to blossom into something special, I believe. But they have to be nurtured right. And at the end of the day, that's Oli's job, not ours. Um, yeah, well, well, jury's out on Oli, but we'll see. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll have another episode about looking at Oli signing a new contract and that. Um, Arsenal, P, your team went out there, spent 50 million on Ben White. Good deal, good business. Um, to be honest, in current market, it's like regular business. I wouldn't even say it's good business. I wouldn't say it's terrible business. A lot of people have said we've overpaid, but I mean, he's English, he's young. Even Southgate in this tournament said that's one of his future centre-backs for England. He, he sees him as what that. Um, 
a lot of the players in the camp when he was brought in kind of last minute. They said the player they've been impressed with is Ben White. Mm. They didn't really know he was that good. I remember watching him when he was at Leeds and uh, they played us. I think it was FA Cup. We beat them 1-0. They should have battered us about 7-1 in the first half. <laughs> but yeah. coming out on the back, obviously that was the first real time I'd really watched and assessed the Bielsa style because it was up against my team. And I was like, wow, they're intense. But the compliment to all of that was Ben White because I'd heard a lot of people talking about him and I was watching him and it was just the way he was initiating everything from so deep. It's not long raking passes or anything like that, but just breaking the lines. He's a fantastic dribbler for a centre-back. Good distribution. Mm. I say he's very, he's young. So there's a lot of room for improvement there, but I've been saying it to Remy, a bit premature, but I've been calling him the new Rio Ferdinand. We'll see. But he looks like a smooth defender. If not Rio Ferdinand, but I'm going to say more in the mould of what like people look at John Stones. But with John Stones, I think that he he is a better dribbler, I, I believe, Ben White. Certain times where Stones was a bit younger, he used to get himself into trouble because I feel technically he wasn't always able to do the thing he wanted to do. I feel Ben White is very, very technically good for a centre-back. Um, once again, the, the proof will be in the pudding. If he if he goes on to improve our defense, fifty million looks like a bargain. Yeah. If he goes on to turn into Pascal Segan, then (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, we've all seen Rob Holden's hairline. He's turning into Pascal Segan. This is what Arsenal Football Club does to play. (laughs) Now, but this is what when you're spending fifty million, make it be in a position where you need, and and that centre back, Arsenal what. You haven't got rid of Louise, yeah, have you? He's gone. Oh, he's, he's gone. gone. David yeah. Louise is gone. Yeah, David Louise is gone. So you look at the defenders that you've got we left. Have Pablo Marie. We have Gabriel. He's injured. That's why he's not at the Olympics. And it's a knee injury. Okay. Um, Holden's there. You've got Chambers. But really in the Man, pecking order, there. Chambers is very low in pecking order. What about, what about Saliba? You, you've done him dirty. I was going to say something, but I'll hold my mouth just because there's certain people I don't want to offend out there. But I do believe that that's part of the reason why he's not at the club. Oh. Bringing our wonderful club's name into disrepute with your antics. He's, he's on loan, isn't he? Yes, I'm Marseille yeah. with Gwenduzi. Yeah. <laughs> who's probably every day telling him leave. <laughs> yeah, he's like, look how they treat him. Sabotage in the place. Um... No, but I think it's a good signing. I think uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think United were interested in him. But mm. this is the, this is what it is now. You know, any young English potential player, it's going to be premium prices. Yeah, we yeah, paid yeah. like eighty-five million for Maguire. Whatever his value is at twenty-five million. Right? But let's be honest: what is fifty million in the game nowadays? Because Man City mm. spent it on centre backs, right backs, left backs, and people can say they spend it on every single player. No, but this is the thing: people can say, yeah. "Well, Man City gets success," but they pay Benjamin Mendy hella dough and. He doesn't even play football. This guy's going to play football. On social media. So, yeah. No, but we paid 72 million for Pepe. At least he plays. Man City pay stupid money for some of these guys and you're like, he's just going to hardly ever see the football pitch. Yeah, they don't already care. Really, no, but that's the point. At the end of the day, as um, Dave is saying, we have to look at it. That's kind of the normal prices going nowadays. Mm-hmm. But is this guy going to play football? Don't spend that much on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're definitely, definitely going to get... I believe he, he will be slotted in. Yeah, definitely. Um, Liverpool also signed a centre-back. I think it was kind of needed after kind of what happened last year. They ain't trying to get in the scenario like that. 
um, Diffusan Kanati. That was done kind of early in the transfer window. Yeah. Very early. One of the first transfers done from Leipzig. I think that brings them back into contention as well because Van Dijk's back. I mean, we don't know at what he's, level. He's very at. injury prone, though. That's that's the only thing with Kanati. Is uh, he's very injury prone. Seeing him for Leipzig, a bit like um, Apakana um, as well. He's he's the same mm. as well. I know. Yeah, very. I think it's a good signing. If he if he stays fit, um, I think he'll do well for Liverpool. But yeah, but I think they're back there in contention, like you said. Um, yeah, well, I think the Gomez is the back injury back record. Gomez, the new season, isn't it? Um, Gomez is back as well. Yeah, Gomez is coming back yeah. as well. Um, Gilmore, who impressed me, as I said, in that England game for Scotland. He, he's an exciting young player from Chelsea. He's also gone on loan. I mean, the amount of Chelsea players that are on loan, listen, this is a joke. Um, yeah, he's gone to Norwich, which is a good place. If if I had a player and I want to send him out on loan, this is I'm sending him to Norwich. Is they they got a good manager? Um, they they do some nice club. They play good football as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting to see more of him next season in the Premier League. A guy who's returned to the Premier League is Ariola, who I think we all was impressed with at Fulham in goal for Fulham. He joined mm. West Ham on loan. It's a good signing for West Ham. Man. Very good signing. I like that signing. Good players. Um, and now we'll go on to the MMA headlines and David or and you can take a troll this yeah um, yeah the best place to start is obviously the announcement of Usman versus Covington 2 um, my thoughts I'm a bit biased because I love I love Usman fellow Nigerian Nigerian no. nightmare by name nightmare, nightmare by nature he's lapping these guys but I do think Kobe Covington was the one guy I felt, you know, the rivalry, the build-up was brilliant and the, the fight matched everything. Right. And it was a very close fight. And I feel Usman, towards the end, outlasted him by, by knocking him out. But I thought it was a very competitive fight and it could have gone either way. A very good, very good contest. Um, but now they're fighting again. I think it's a perfect time, considering the, 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 the victories that Usman has had during that period of time. Burns, Masvidal. Um, you know, Covington had an impressive victory against a uh, tired Woodley. Um, but I think you know, Covington, rightly so, I think deserves to be the contender. Maybe Leon Edwards might feel a bit aggrieved that he's not next in line, but I feel Leon Edwards needs another well, like another fight to be considered for another fight. Um, what do you uh, think? It, it, what, what do you think it is with Leon that's not putting him in this fight? Is it is it a combination of things like the Covington Usman story? Obviously, how the first fight went, how competitive and, and, and good it was. Um, or, or, or is it that Leon hasn't fought that competition really yet? He fought Nate Diaz, again, another guy who fought a lot of his career at lightweight. And he almost got beaten in that fight, even though he batted him for, for, for 24 minutes. And he got knocked down in the last minute. Which one do you think it is more more, more tall? I think it's the credible opponent. I think it's more the credit or opponent. I mean, he's, he's I think it's 10, 10 fights unbeaten. But if you look through the names, it, listen, no disrespect to Nick Diaz. Yeah. You know, he's. I think he's coming towards the end of his career. But you're looking for a credible name. I mean, had he had fought maybe Masvidal before, when they, when them two had that little blow up um, uh, after he yeah, beat he's Darren Till. He's still or, pushing for that fight. I know yeah, why Masvidal. I think it makes sense now. He wants to yeah, get back up in contention and he wants to take his record. Both of them now, yeah, especially that that fight's been booked, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I feel for me, for for Leon Edwards, for him to kind of elevate himself into that 
number one role. I think he needs to beat someone like a Gilbert Burns. He needs to beat so, someone of that that caliber. If he beats a Gilbert Burns, I think he he gets he gets a title because you know Gilbert Burns. You know he was impressive against uh, Wonder Boy. Um, yeah, you're right. Obviously, he fought man. Usman. I give it to you, man. You're right in that position. So that's I think that's that's where Leon Edward needs a standout win to get back into the conversation. And the story, his the storied history between Usman and Coverton deserves another another an, an, a sequel, as it were. And I think Coverton deserves to be gets another shot at Usman, but I don't think he's dealing with a, the same Usman he fought the first time round. Usman's is operating at a different level now. Coven, just, Coven, everything he's doing is striking. Not, sorry, not not going into the technical side because we'll go into that closer to the fight. Yeah. I think this is definitely a fight that we're yeah. probably making a whole episode on a card like this, especially yeah. with that fight at the top of it. So not from a technical aspect, but just just looking at that division and, and Osman at the moment, um, I think there's no arguments. You're definitely going to agree anyway because you're green, white, green bias. He's he's pound for pound. The core. Yeah. He's, pound, he's pound for pound number pound one. Pound. He's pound for pound for num- number one right now. Habib retired. Um, John Jones hasn't yep. fought since how long and when John Jones last fought in my opinion he lost and I think a lot of people's opinion he lost yeah. um, Osman is operating at a, at a, 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 a an elite level he, he, he's just wiping the floor with people knocking people out right now but the other argument which some people have come with and I think it's a bit premature I, I see why they're trying to bring it up now because they're comfortable with almost predicting the future but Usman, um, how long, how many more victories would it take for him to to become the GOAT at World Weight and overstep the great GSP? It's tough. Listen, I'll, I'll put the bias aside. If he beats Covington and wins a couple of more, I, 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 can't, I can't say that he would be the, the, the GOAT or... Because GSP, GS, GSP was special, man. And I don't, I, I don't, I, regardless of what Usman goes on to do, I don't think he'll over, overcome what GSP has done. But what I would like to see Usman do is potentially go up away because he's cleaned out well away. After Covent, and there's no one really left. I, listen, I, I would especially love to see him fight. Easy. I know burn. they probably won't fight each other. Sorry, especially after Burns beat yeah. um, Thompson. I, I, I feel, I feel a rematch with Edwards as long as Edwards gets that 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 victory that adds that name. I, I definitely interested in seeing a rematch because I think Edwards is 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 improved a lot since their first fight. Yeah. Where he just dominated him wrestling wise. I think he's a much more clever fighter. He's much more improved um Leon Edwards now than he was back then. Um Gilbert Burns, man. I mean, I would. I don't like saying that a guy has to run through all these rematches to kind of put himself in that bracket. But look, that that's who is in his division, and stepping up a weight that puts him and, and and winning a title that puts him in 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 gold conversation conversation in general. You know what I mean? Mm. But just thinking to walk mm. away, George obviously lost two fights. He 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 avenged them both. Um. And other than that, he won every other fight. Usman has never lost a fight in the UFC. He's lost one fight that was very early in his career. I think it's his second fight. He got submitted. Um, yeah, man. I, I love GSP. 
Uh, GSP is, is is my waterweight goat, and there's no arguments. Mm. He's one of the goats in general, up there in the top two, top three for me. Um, yeah, it's it's but it's what Usman's doing at the moment. Yeah, it, it, it's the he's doing, what he's doing at the moment is special, especially the knockout for Masvidal. If he goes out and knocks Covington out earlier than he did last time, um, and then as I said, say he goes. Beats Edwards. To see, let's not even say a knockout. Let's just say he dominates Edwards, shuts him down. Then you mm. really start have to, have to start thinking about it. And then I think if a fresh contender comes his way, and he was to beat that contender and impressively, I think at that moment. So I think about three fights time. He, he could definitely, definitely be a shout for goat war away. I, I, I definitely do, man. Um, Let's look at what we didn't what we didn't look at the aftermath of of the Poirier Connor. It's been a while, two weeks since the fight. We know what happened. Conor McGregor right at the end of the round couldn't continue. Um, the uh, the round ended and he was on the floor. He had already snapped his leg in half. There was arguments or not arguments. Everyone debating how it happened. Was it a check leg kick? This footage of him kicking the elbow of Poirier and people saying it could be that and then step back on it and then obviously the aftermath is is what happened in the cage with the insults from McGregor still while his foot was broke and, and telling how he'd kill Poirier and his wife and then yeah. he had um um yeah then then in general is his attitude we know Connor um, and obviously, you'll just bring it up quickly. The tweet to Habib, I don't know if you saw it there. Um, after the Poirier fight, Habib tweeted out and said that good always beats evil. And um, just said this congratulations to Poirier. And I think he also put that he believes Poirier will go on and beat Oliveira for the title. It was two weeks later, so it was only like three days ago, Conor McGregor tweeted out it was late it was past midnight so mm. and I'm sure he's on medication I don't know if it was medication or my mom was touching touching your juice or touching something else but <laughs> yeah he tweeted um, COVID good father evil which we know that Habib's dad died of COVID yeah um, listen man some people say none of that matters I believe in his skills. I'm a fan of the guy's skill and and whatever. No, no, no. I, I listen. His skills is 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 wonderful. It's been wonderful to watch and everything. Obviously, it's been a been a falling off period, which some would say in his last few fights. Let's let's be honest. He's fought the top of the food chain as well. Should he have fought these guys? I don't think he's earned it, and I think that's the problem. When you're a star like that, you're gonna get the big fights all the time. Clearly now he's just not in that league at the moment, and he has to prove and fight his way like everybody else to get back in that league. Um, Perry, you you've you've seen the come up of Connor. Mm. You're not you're not the biggest MMA fan, but you've seen the come up on Connor. Mm. Do do you, do you think he's he's finished? And and why do you think now that that he talks like this? Do you think that's just him, or do you think that there's a there's a tactic behind it. Uh, I think we all know that the tactic is 
get under people's skin. We know that. But now it's just getting a bit it's getting a bit crazy, man. He's looking a bit mad. Um in terms of being finished, I think at that elite level in, in the MMA, yeah. I mean, been hurt a couple of times now. There is the chink in the armor. And I think with those kind of sports, it's like Prince Nassim. I liken that to boxing. Once he was beaten, he was never the same. No, he just quit. Mm. Yeah, but it's like... He lost and he was out. No, but it's like Mourinho. To me, once Mourinho's air of invincibility disappeared, and that that was when he met Pep. Mm. Somebody, a resistance that you can't get past. Mm. Same thing kind of with McGregor. I feel that his focus isn't the same. There is like a... With the money, isn't it? No, but it's not just the money. I feel like... There's a bitterness there because if you put yourself on that pedestal and somebody brushed you off it and not under your terms, they just took you off it. Like there's a resentment. I, I hear for, what you said. Do you, do, you, do you think the bitterness is, is that he's been sitting on the sidelines through some, he would say not his choice at, at certain times, but he moved with the boxing stuff. And when he kind of went away, mm. Habib now became this untouchable kind of guy. And we know he instigated, he caused that fight to happen with, with the throwing the dolly mm-hmm. at the bus and stuff. And yeah, so what you're saying, I, th- I think you've got a good point. Just do you think it was that him sitting on the sideline looking at these guys and thinking, now nah, I, I need to be Yeah, I think he kind of resents like the fact that he he brought M- UFC to, to the masses to, to, yeah, to an extent. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was already there, but he really pushed it to the yeah, masses. And yeah, like, nah, he, he now, now you see Habib and you're like, Habib shouldn't be a superstar. I'm the superstar kind of thing. Yeah. But also in the like the the, the things he says and like he's a shit talker anyway. I'm Irish, you're Irish quarter both of us, but we've he's from like a traveler kind of background. Is he? I don't even know. Yeah. He does how he moves, but I don't know if he is. I don't think he is. No, he is. Apparently. I don't know. He talks about his people winning wars and being warriors and fighters. No, but he's saying like his, the McGregor name. And yeah, the McGregor name. That's yeah. usually in those kind of circles, yeah? Yeah, I, I don't know if you meant like that. But I think amongst other kind of Irish people, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's a notoriety, as he says, the notorious Colin McGregor, yeah? yeah. For me, you see where like he talks shit and everything, like, that's just kind of their nature. Their nature is to be quite brash and have that bravado. He's very good at it. No, no, but, but away from Conor McGregor, we can go down the road and you'll meet an Irish guy that has a lot of confidence in himself. Yeah. They, they train from, no, no, but they, no, but they train from young to box. Yeah, I know what you're they, saying. They, yeah, they, they, they have confidence. They no, they're they're like yeah, they, their parents instill mad confidence in them where you can never let another man deal with you like you're not a man. Yeah. So when it comes down to it, where he, he did certain things happen, people look at his petulance. It's not so much petulance when you've been designed a certain way to kind of see that as like a failure to even lose or have a man have something to say or on top like is it, where we'll just take it as an L. It's an L, we get over it. Yeah. He it's not just an L in his mind, it's it's like a chink, it, it, it's like a disrespect. And that's not something he's just willing to let lie. He has to say something back. He, I have to react in a way to show him or show the world mm. I can't just be got at. I'm not a target. And I feel he believes he's become a bit of a target or a joke because so many people wanted to see his downfall. But at the same time, that's the price of talking the way you do as well. 
Yeah, that's what brings people to watch you. At the of end course, of the as I always say, yin and yang to everything. For yeah. all the exposure you're going to get, yeah, yeah, people are sense. going to want you to fail. Yeah. Um, last weekend, there was the comeback of TJ Dillashaw um, against Corey Sanhagen. He's, Corey Sanhagen, sorry. He was suspended for two years, if you don't know. He's the former Bantamweight champion twice. Uh, he took EPO, um, and he was suspended for two years. Some argue should he have come back and had a fight at the level that he did? Because basically, Corey Sanhagen was the next in line. He, if he wanted to, basically mm. just sat there and just waited for his chance. But he said, nah, I want to fight TJ. They used to train together at one point as well. And there's rumors that in the training room, Corey lit him up. So I think Corey had a little confidence that, that he, he could, especially after the two years out, that he could really take advantage of that against TJ and and, and have that big name on his record. Um, very, very close fight. I had it 3-2 to, to Sanhagen personally. I think it was the second, the fourth and the fifth I had for Sanhagen. But they gave it to TJ. I don't agree, but I, I was impressed with TJ. Being out for two years and, and fighting the way he fought um, Warrior. That that's one thing that comes. He's a warrior, man. He had a bad gash, bad gash on his eye mm. in a horrible place. Battled through, um, jarred his knee early in the fight as well. Battled through with that. His leg kicks were a big part of his victory, I think. Um, the leg kicks are, are an interesting thing in MMA now. It, they score you points. Some guys don't check them. Some guys don't react, and they just take a lot of them. And and, and they are gonna count. They are gonna count. Um, and I think that was the thing there was just a little too many times where I thought Corey maybe just wasn't the aggressor enough and I think that's what the judges what they kind of went with to give TJ as I said I don't agree personally that's not the way I scored the fight aggression comes later down the line the action that you see in front of your face and I think the bigger punches the bigger shots were done by Corey but listen big things for TJ now you would expect the title fight between Yan and um, Sterling is going to happen to rematch and we'll see what's in line for TJ. Did you see the fight, David? Uh, yeah, I watched I watched the fight. Um, I had it Sanderhagen winning. I thought it was a bit controversial in terms of the result. But, you know, I've got to give credit to Dillashaw. I mean, I didn't agree with the fact that he's come back after two years and in such a competitive fight, especially, you know, Sanderhagen, you know, he's on the, on the verge of kind of challenging mm. for, for a title. But to come back the way he did, he looked a lot more leaner. And I know he's not uh, free, he's free of EPO now. He's, he's come back very, very good. I thought he was. I thought he was very competitive, uh, very quite aggressive at times uh, in the fight. You know, I think that the, the, the better work was coming from Sander Hagen, but he was always in the rounds. And yeah. but I but like I said, it's a controversial result. I'd like to see them do it again. Um, but look, he's put himself now in a position now, Dillashaw, to kind of get a title shot, however controversial it is. Um, but I'd like to see them run it back again because I think, you know, Sander Hagen, you know, for for a guy who's on the verge of, I wouldn't say greatness, but on the verge of doing something in that division deserves an, another run back. So, uh, but listen, a win's a win for Dillashaw. He's a good winner after two years out. So, I it definitely wasn't the most controversial fight on the card. There was um, 
Miranda Maverick, just to mention, because I have to mention it. I didn't bet on this fight. I yeah. do bet on UFC most weekends, but I didn't bet that weekend. Thank God I didn't, because them judges were on. I don't know what they were doing, man. As man said, it was like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles judging the fight. Like, I, I just don't know what they were seeing. Miranda Maverick clearly won the first two rounds in her fight, and the third round, she clearly lost. But she lost that fight on the judges' scorecard somehow, and, and Macy Barber got the victory. A much-needed one because she lost two in a row as well. She looked really shot of confidence in the first two rounds. And, and that was a girl whose career was built of confidence, really young, saying that she was going to be the youngest champion. Lost her last two fights, as I said. Um, but she battled back in the third. She got the victory. She no way should have won that fight for me. But listen, it is what it is. But quickly, I know, Perry, you, you, you was impressed with, with Dillashaw. Yeah, man. I'll be honest. Once his eyebrow bust open, I thought that was it. Like the way that was pouring into his eye, I was thinking this guy's in too much trouble. I could see him that batting at his eye. Obviously, that's going to impair your vision. And um, yeah, some of the shots he was like being caught with. Yeah, yeah. Less the men, less the men knowing that you can't some licks, man. Yeah, you can't see clearly, and you're just holding those. Certain man, just their heart's gonna go and just be like, you know what? Like this might be a bit long, and the referee might then look at you and be like, mm, "Yeah, he doesn't look like he really wants it. Maybe I should just, you know what I mean?" But constantly going forward, constantly trying to do something, and I don't think he won. But at the end of the day, just for the heart alone, hats off to him, man. Yeah, he was in there. Um, quickly, just going back to the lightweight division, there's just some news to go on. We won't go into it um, at this time, so we'll move on. Um, but. Islam Makashev, who is um, Habib's, people say, protege, is, is, is his good friend, his training partner from when he was young. I think about two, three years younger than Habib. Habib's now playing the role of joint coach with Javier Mendes. Um, he's finally broken to the top five. He got a victory over Moises the week after the Poirier McGregor. Um, he's just a solid fighter, man. Solid wrestling. Um, and and a really, really aggressive fight when it comes to submissions. And um, he ended up tapping out Moises, which is very impressive. Moises is a is a good, a good fight with a good jiu-jitsu background. Um, so interesting going ahead. Hopefully, I pray, man. I'm a big fan of Makashev. I hope he gets a big fight next. Got to get a big fight. Someone in around that top seven, hopefully. Um, and also announced yesterday, which... I'm, I'm guessed about uh, Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje is going to be back. I'm not sure on the date. Sorry. Um, I'll check that for the progress, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they haven't, apparently it hasn't been signed by both fighters, but yeah, they, they, that's the fight they're looking to make. Um, as I said, in my opinion, Justin Gaethje is probably the most exciting fighter out there. Um, he just goes to war, man. Um, yeah, and he'll be fighting Ma- Michael Chandler, so Hopefully that fight gets signed. That'll be a good fight. Quickly, you talk about, just quickly, on the interim heavyweight title fight, which is going to be next week. There is some points to talk about, some stories to talk about. I'll ask you about one of them, David. Um, first of all, Francis Ngannou, obviously, is the, the heavyweight champion, but they're saying he can't defend his belt. So, they well, he's he's rejected the fight, apparently. Or say he's not ready. So, straight away, three months after winning the belt, 
They put in their title fight, which I don't have no beef with really. Lissandi and then Garner won't lose not on nothing. Lewis mm. and Gian will fight. Gian is a French fighter. If you've ever seen him, my man looks like AJ badly. He's like a French AJ. He just looks like a yeah. that version. <laughs> but he's a excellent fighter, man. Moves like a like a middleweight. Very good fighter. More point fighter than a guy who's gonna go there and knock you knock your head off, where Lewis is the complete opposite. Derek Lewis is going to yeah. try and knock your head off, literally. You know what I mean? But David, I do want to ask you about something that did happen in the week, the news. Stipe Miocic is not happy. Yeah. Um, he's questioning why he's not in line to get his rematch. Um, and he's talked about how he wants to fight in one championship, the Asian MMA company. But um, he, he, he's, got a, he's got a point in it. Yeah, 100%. For, for, you know, let's not forget, I mean, Stipe Miocic, for me, in the heavyweight division, you know, the amount of wins he's accumulated, the people that he's beaten, he deserves to get a, a, a rematch against Ngannou. You know, it's a trilogy. You know, it's, it's 1-1. I mean, the first the first fight with Ngannou, he uh, obliterated him. You know, we know how that ended. Ngannou gassed out. And, you know, comfortably, Miocic won that fight. Listen, it took a long time for Ngannou to kind of get back in a position to kind of challenge for the heavyweight title. He did, and Ngannou had a, a great game plan, and and you know how that went. I think Miocic deserves it. I think I feel he feels a bit let down by Dana, and rightly so because of what he's done in, at the UFC and the, for the company. And I think it's it's a shame that they've gone. They're trying to go down a different direction. I think he deserves a, a, a if it's a final fight with the UFC, a final fight, a final opportunity with to win the um, the UFC title again. I, I got a feeling that you know, Ngannou's Dana White's guy. That's the guy he wants to be, you know, as a, you know, as a heavyweight champion to kind of to boost the you know the profile from out from the outside. So what do you make the I, hit, I think he's kind of getting the Tyron Woodley. So what do you make the interim title for him? I, I don't understand. Did he, did he I, I think it's just a title thing. fight made uh, uh, for a pay per view. I think it's a pay per view. Uh, I'm not even sure. Yeah, because Nunez has got COVID now. Yeah, yeah. So she's come off the card. Yeah, so they so it kind of worked out for them in the end. They got a title fight. That's the only remaining one in it. So yeah. it kind of worked out for them in the end, I guess. Um, that's what I said. I don't have no beef for them doing it. I'm I'm just kind of interested mm-hmm. that Miyoshi Jules will sit there and enter a title without the greatest heavyweight, who Dana yeah. said is the greatest heavyweight ever. You know what I mean? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's getting the Tyron Woodley treatment. I mean, when Woodley was champion, he never really had love for him. And, and Miocic, when he was champion, he's always had issues with Dana White. So, yeah, he has, he has. Um, listen, and Garn, who's the guy that Dana White wants as champion, um, <laughs> you know, Garn has got, got this time, like, you know, to, you know, when he fights either Lewis or Gain next. I, mean, I don't think Miocic kind of peters in or factors into the, the heavyweight title picture, which is a shame, really, because I think people would prefer to see a, a trilogy to see if maybe Miocic can get the title back, but they've gone a different direction. You can take over this last section. Okay, and just to wrap up, uh, we're just going to head on to the boxing. Uh, so, Joshua versus Usyk, uh, booked for September the 25th at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, well, I think that's one for Remy to kick us off with. Why? <laughs> Why? Because that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because in hell. So let's talk about it. <laughs> It'll be the biggest, 
Yeah, but <laughs> the only time anything's been one day. <laughs> worse, man. Uh, <laughs> nah, man. I, I, I'm excited for this fight, man. I know everyone wanted Joshua Fury. I get it, man, and 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 I did as well. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm a big fan of Usyk. I like him, man. Um, I know a lot of people can say that he's 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 not big enough for Usyk. I don't know. Obviously, David, you can speak on it after. We're not going to go into the mm. technical side of it, but nah. listen, man, I, I'm just happy it's, it's, it's booked. That's a good fight, a fight to, especially with Wilder and, and Fury having their third fight. Uh, yeah, man. Listen, Usyk could, could throw a spanner in the works, man, because everyone's talking about Fury having to get put through Wilder again. And, and I'm telling you, man, Usyk's a good fighter, man. He, he can find a way um, but Joshua will be favourite, and I, and I think he he should be favourite as the bigger guy, as as the champion. I think he should be favourite. But um, yeah, I'm happy he's booked, man. Yeah, I I mean the fight, you know, I'm glad that pe- people thought that Joshua was going to duck the fight, uh, maybe relinquish the title. But listen, that people shouldn't sleep on on Usyk, man. His uh, his amateur background is second to none. He's an Olympic gold medalist, same same year as Anthony Joshua um, you know what he did at Cruiserweight undisputed he's come to the heavyweight scene and he's, he's beating Chisora you know we, we all know about Chisora gatekeeper but I won't go too much into it but you know he's a very dangerous operator Usyk and he's going to pose a lot of questions to Joshua and there's going to be questions about Usyk as well because I feel now he's in a real heavyweight fight um, mm. you know we always mentioned about the, the, the weight issue and how he's going to contend with that but this is a very, very risky fight. Usk, um, for me, is going to be a difficult problem. And, you know, in terms of trying to replicate his style in terms of sparring and leading up to this fight, it's going to be very difficult. And it's a, <laughs> there could be a spanner in the works, man. <laughs> it's, it's a tough fight. It'd be, I think it's Joshua's biggest fight up to date. Fair points made by both of you there. All right, just moving on. Um, Joe Joyce stops Takam. How do you not feel about that? What did you think of the fight? You know what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was at my bedroom's yard and the fight was just starting and my allergies kicked in here with the cat. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, listen, I'm going to my yard. So I left, yeah. It must have took, it must have, nah, listen, the fight was just starting, yeah. It must have took me about 10 minutes to get, get home. When I got home, I turned on the TV and I see my mum with his hands in here and Takam was vexed. So, no gas. I didn't even see the fight. I saw the end. It just looked like Joe Joyce, he's getting better at doing what he does, man. He's just a heavyweight that just walks forward like a robot. And you know what? This is going to sound a bit deep, man, but he's like one of them mutes, like big and dumb. Yeah. He'd been dropping. He looked like he was. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, one of those kids at school, yeah? Biff. He was a bully. He looked like a bit of a bully at school, but by accident. He was quiet at first. He was that guy that nobody really spoke to. And then just one day, he absolutely smashed somebody in the corridor. Yeah, and everyone knew never to ever mess with yeah, him. Yeah, just headbutt him, man. <laughs> nah, like, I don't even be deep to him, man, but I don't know, man. I don't know his background, but he does look like he's held, he's got a bit of. Uh, Damage done to him. But I have to say, he's got a fucking chin, if that's the case. Because that, that guy can hold a blow, man. Um, 
we're gonna end the episode talking about this. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think um obviously he's put himself what mandatory now, David? For Usyk and Joshua. Yeah, I mean he's mandatory for, yeah, for the WBO heavyweight title. Yeah, man. Um, I, I personally wasn't impressed with the performance, but do you think the savage was right? No. I think there was about 43 unanswered punches. Jackham <laughs> wasn't responding to any of them. <laughs> yeah, that was the right stoppage. Yeah. It's, so, it's the right stoppage, but the perform the performance, um, yeah, he was getting hit far too much by Takam. Far yeah. too much than he needed to. Um, I think he should have adopted the, uh, the, uh, the... Does the argument, do you know that... Maybe, a, I think he wants... I, think... I do, I can walk forward, I can throw punches, I will get hit. But I know I trust my chin. I know I got to be in range to hurt this guy, and 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 he hurt him, man. It's about game plans. He, he wanted to put a show on. Levels. That's the question, though. Yeah. Isn't it? Now, when he mm. fights that upper level, can this guy be competitive in that fight? Because me personally, technically, he's not that level. He's not. I, I technically, I don't think he is, but. He's different, man. He, he is different. He's a different fight for you to have. He doesn't stop coming forward. He carries on throwing punches, even if they're not technically brilliant, even if they don't have someone's power. He's a heavyweight. Mm. It's going to hurt you if he hits you anyway. And he throws a lot of punches. I, I think he could be a problem for people. I, I don't know if he's good enough to be a champion, personally. I just don't think he's technically good enough. But he definitely has a chin, and, and, and he, definitely, he definitely has a stamina. Yeah, I I look at this. I look at Joyce, and I, I he's another fellow Nigerian as well. Um, are you look man, I'm trying I, I've got to say it as this. He's got. A, are you man, I'm trying to go. It's, it's, it's in it's in the water, bro. Got man like Lawrence Sokoli as well running the show oh, at yeah, cruiserweight. Yeah. He's gonna come yeah, to heavyweight soon, but to man, we'll talk. Man, we'll talk about him a bit later. No, no, we won't. But Joyce, but Joyce the juggernaut. Listen, <laughs> I thought his performance was a bit. Le- le- uh, labor. I think he tried to put on a, a show for the fans. He's not the he's not the best in terms of carrying himself. I mean, um, the performance was a bit labor. Takam was hitting him too much, but I thought he could have gone, you know, could have gone back to the fundamentals. What he was doing against Dubois, because the step up. You got to remember when he fought Dubois, every Dubois was hyped up as this next big thing, but Dubois hasn't really fought anyone. So George Joseph's in a different trajectory than Dubois. He has he has to be fast tracked because of his age. Um, and in terms of the, the, you know, he's got a good amateur background. He's, he's fought some decent names, Stavern. Um, and obviously, he's, he's beaten Takam. Takam has been in the ring with loads, like a- AJ, Parker, uh, a few others. Um, but I didn't, I, I didn't really think the performance was that great from, from Joyce. Now, in terms of him now being in a position to be challenging for a world title, can he make that next step up? I would prefer to see him fight another, another fight. Maybe now to bridge the gap, maybe someone that may uh, 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 an upgrade from Takam, maybe someone that Takam lost to. Um, now that could be a Chisora, that could be a uh, maybe, maybe fight someone like a Parker or a Ruiz, or, or maybe I was, I was hearing about maybe Ortiz. That type of level of fight now, um, to fight first before he fights AJ because yeah, or, or he's, those, not, he's not ready for that level, then but no, I don't think he's ready. Is he is he? Kind of would. Is he ready for his um his actual mandatory status? Because his status is a high status in the game. And mm-hmm. I mean, when you're mandatory for the titles, they believe you're ready. But you yeah, see, obviously, as you're saying, he's a bit old, so he doesn't have time on his hands. 
right now yeah. it's a question of is he ready ready as he'll ever be ready it doesn't mean he's good enough it's just that's his maximum or do you believe he's he's still got to fight another a level I, I do believe I agree with you I, I think he does need to fight a a, a Parker a, a Ortiz a, a maybe a Ruiz I do think he needs to fight that someone different a different kind of style different kind of confidence I, I believe you beat Parker to be honest I, I, I believe. Yeah, I think you overrun. I think you overrun two, Parker. The other two would be a good fight. I think the Ortiz fight for me is. The, I think the danger, or um, the technical ability from Ortiz, and because of Joe Joyce's his engine, he always comes forward. He throws a lot of shots, but I think there'll be a lot of variations to Joe Joyce. I think what we saw against Takam was. I think it was he was. He didn't fear that Takam offered anything in terms of trying to knock him out. I think if he fought someone like an Ortiz or a Ruiz, I think we could see probably a better performance by Joyce. I think he's got another level to step up to, um, but he needs another fight before that that fight. But maybe even if... But it depends on whether Frank Warren can deliver for him. I, I don't know if he'll be able to deliver a, a fight like a Parker or a Ruiz. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a, a, a Pulev. So someone at that level he needs before he fights AJ or... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah no, I always and finally, just to wrap up, um, well, it's just been announced: Errol Spence versus Pacquiao. Well, they had a, they had a press conference, I think. I think it was announced yeah. a few weeks ago, but oh were. no, it was still because Charlie was talking to me about yeah. it. Yeah, Errol Spence versus Pacquiao, August twenty first. How do you look feel about that? I mean, if Pacquiao wins, unbelievable bubble. Yeah, that. he's greatest ever if he wins yeah. that. If he wins that series, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'll give him mad nah, He's on drugs. Nah, this a man's running country. You know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah. I don't even mean to be. Nah, he must be on drugs to even be boxing and running the country at the same time. My man is, nah, he's not running the country. <laughs> my man's, my man's forty-three. <laughs> I, I don't want to spend too long on this because we've got to wrap it up now. But um, mm. yeah, I, I listen, man. It's boxing. He has a dangerous left hand, but I just think Errol Spence is. I'm, I've been impressed with that guy every time I watch him. He's a smooth operator, does his business, fights at range, goes to the body. Pacquiao's used to fighting bigger men anyway. Errol Spence is a big guy though, man. And and a big guy with quality and knows how to fight as a big man. So I, I, I love Pacquiao, always loved him. Entertaining fighter, man. Been fighting from, what was it, flyweight to... So where is that now? You know what I mean? Well, wait, he's a G, man. But yeah, OG in this thing, one of the goats. But yeah, I, I fair dues to the guy. You get me, forty-three and still. And as man said, trying to run the country or whatever he's doing, he's on a mad thing for taking this fight. Well, I think he's fighting there at the right time. I yeah. think with the, with the whole COVID and the pandemic, I think he's fighting there at the right time. I'll say it with my chest, man. I I I I think he's fighting error at the right time because I think um we learned a lot when he fought um Thurman. I'm not saying Furman and Spencer the but I was, you know, I, I looked at the performance when Spence fought against Porter and he went to hell and back against Porter. He's had the car accident, didn't look really too impressive against Garcia. I, I think Pacquiao's fighting him at the right time. People people label it as um changing of the guard. And, you know, Errol Spence will start as favourite. But listen, I'm not discounting Pacquiao. Mm. One bit, man. I think he, I think he's fighting it. 
I think timing's everything. And I think... Yeah, you um, could be right, man. You could be right. That COVID thing is, is throwing a spanner on the works for a lot of man. I even heard Teddy Atlas... Listen, whether you believe him or not, he made me start to believe it and made me think, shit, I'm going to put a bet on it. That, that this COVID thing could have an effect on, on the Fury Wilder fight. Let's not even go into that. But he just says it... Listen, he's changing his mind on who he thinks is going to win that fight based on the COVID thing. So you're right, man. It, it could have a big impact, man. It, it definitely could. It would be an interesting fight, man. And yeah, I mean, that's the wrap-up for this episode. Thank you, guys. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, been a it's minute. Been we, need to, we need to do this regularly, man. We, we need to try and do this regularly. Um, try and promote it more, try and get more listeners because I said I think we do talk some good points. Food do talk some shit as well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But um yeah, I'm always on these chats anyway. So yeah, we get these one out uh, get, uh, get this episode out there and stuff. And yeah, as I said, we just gotta please both of you to just, just, just promote the thing, man, and and hopefully we can just get a couple oh, yeah. more people that hit you back and just say, you know, I listened to it, man, and I thought it was alright. Still, even if it's just as little as that, even if you think, you know what, I think you lot talk shit, but you talk with passion, you know what I mean? Like even if you say that, then listen, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a wrap, a wrap for episode eight, man. It's been good, man. I mean. It, a lot of a lot of content has been uh, kind of spoken and talked about. Um, looking forward to the next episode. Obviously, with one, a month left until the transfer window opens. There's going to be loads of more Two matches, weeks till matches season starts, being right? made in the boxing and MMA. Two what, weeks till season starts. Uh, yeah, is that yeah, two, two weeks? Yeah, championships next week, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking, that's crazy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll um, as I said, we'll, we'll look through each Premier League team in a bit more detail. And in between that, we might do a, another headlines one and look at the Oli new contract and and yeah. if there's any more MMA news, I'm not sure there will be from now until um, maybe next week. But if there was, we'll, we'll try and do one and maybe we'll have a guest on or something. Um, yeah, man, that was the warm down. That's lovely for the chat, and we'll probably link up again next week. <laughs>